Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 4, Episode 7. This is a special episode because it's one I didn't plan on doing. First of all, there's not going to be any video. I'm recovering from food poisoning, and we have a special guest who I'll get to in just a moment, uh, who also didn't want to have video either, so we decided no video. So we're going straight audio today um, and excited to do it. Uh, the combination of me not being able to travel to a speaking engagement I was supposed to be at and some very exciting news this week from Google that's worth discussing, I thought, you know what? We got to turn back the clock. We got to go back to the voice first Oracle. And I am claiming coining that, by the way, the Oracle of all things voice first, the original guest on voice first FM, Brian Romley. Brian, say hello. Bradley, wonderful to be here. Hello. And uh, sorry to hear about the uh, little stomach incident, but hopefully you'll be on the mint. Uh, I wouldn't call it little, but that works. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we won't go into uh, gory detail. We want people to not turn the podcast off. Brian, let's start, even before we get into the Google stuff, what are you working on? Um, what's top of mind for you with voice technology right this second, other than the Google story we're about to talk about? Thanks for asking, Bradley. You know, I think what's been top of mind for me has been there for decades. And that's this vision. It's sort of been driving my interest in this for um, all of my energies. It's a concept of where the computer is taking us and where we're taking the computer computer took us to a level where we needed to mechanically type in characters one at a time to communicate with it because it didn't understand us. We obviously are getting some jobs done, you know, uh, and, and, and one could argue different jobs are getting done on a computer. And, and even if that job is to examine the latest cat picture of your friend on social media uh, posting or some filter a picture or whatever, some job is getting done. So how do we get to that point? We get to that point by mechanically interacting, sifting and sorting, and doing uh, things that have what are called the mechanical loads and cognitive loads on the human. And the entire arc of technology is opposite of that. Every technology is designed to remove cognitive load and mechanical load. So this is something that I call um, basically laws of science. Now we could check gravity every morning when we wake up to see if gravity is working, or we can just assume that there is some law of gravity that exists. And uh, we accept that fact. The, the accepted axiom for uh, technology is it becomes simpler and humans do less work. Uh, and the work to be done is done by the machine, in this case, the computer. So it's sort of interesting to think, maybe just like, I guess, candle makers and um, buggy whip makers uh, were thinking about in the turn of uh, the 1800s to the 1900s, that their job is secure and the history uh, arc of history will always go on with uh, buggy whips and candle wicks. And it turns out, the paradigm shifts dramatically and the mechanical things we used to have to do such as 
going around the house, lighting candles, making sure the house doesn't catch fire or oil lamps or whatever you wind up using or feeding the horse or doing the other things of cleanup of the horse. One of the major reasons why New York City was so excited to get the automobile was the uh, condition of the streets. Uh, People used to get pay uh, folks of lesser means to carry them across the streets because of the horse uh, dropping condition of the New York City streets. Now, again, if you look through the eyes of people in that epoch, it all seems very logical that the horse is going to continue on in some way uh, or the steam engine will somehow take over. And, and you, you have sort of this mechanicalized view. And that's where we are right now. And, and so what am, I, what am I working on? I'm working on something I call the intelligence amplifier. And we talked about this at uh, the Alexa conference uh, in January last year. And um, the wisdom keeper or your wisdom keeper, I personalize it. It's not the, it's yours. And the intelligence amplifier is about amplifying your intelligence rather than artificial intelligence. It's intelligence amplification. I don't turn it upside down because it's cute. Turn literally is ironically exactly what we're heading towards. And that means the intelligence of the computer is going to help your intelligence. Now, does that mean the computer is sentient Uh, in some ways, but it's not in the dystopian scientific sort of way. So I occupy a lot of my time in my garage lab, and I'm also continuously working on writing about this uh, conflictedly because I'd rather build than write. Uh, building this, but it's it, it's it's something that I live with every day, so it's common to me. But it's something that's similar to what we see in the world today with uh, uh, Echo devices and uh, Siri devices and um, uh, you know Google devices. And so every time I see a movement in technology that brings about the world that I know we're going towards. It's exciting to me, especially when that technology is elegant, well-executed, and, uh, and, and, and finally in the marketplace. So I, when you see me get excited, it's usually because of that. It may not be in and of, the, of itself just the technology. It may be the promise of that technology in a big jigsaw puzzle that I put together about where the future is heading. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. And uh, that's excellent. Thank you for uh, sharing that with us. And and that presentation you gave at the Alexa conference was, uh, it was equal parts spellbinding and polarizing. Some yes. people didn't know what on earth you were talking about, didn't want to know what you were talking about. <laughs> uh, many people uh, had the exact opposite view. And it was just very, very interesting. And, and consequently, that's exactly the type of presentation we like is one that's going to challenge, challenge you. Um, and, uh, you know, thank you for being part of that with us. Thank you for giving me that time. And, and uh, you know, I struggled with it because I, I, I wanted to give people a little bit more. Uh, and I knew there this was an audience because uh, you've built an incredible, a- incredible ecosystem around uh, all of your everything that you do. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I said to myself, this is the moment where we can start expanding this. And I, I, I was fully aware that, you know, to understand what the future looks like, sometimes 
it's shocking. Sometimes it's hard to deal with. So I went a little into the history and I, you know, tried to calm people down with how humans, the arc of humanity has been uh, off storing our intelligence into first the sky, of course, and the constellations and then uh, in paper cave uh, wall writings and, and things like that, printing press for duplication of ideas. You know, and and trying to transcend that into well, where does it take us into the future without it being so cryptic that it looks like the final scene of 2001? You know, what just happened or the Matrix or something? Uh, but it's hard because, you know, we only know what we know. And sometimes we're only ready to know what we're ready to know. And it, it, sometimes folks like myself come along and you're going to get arrows in the back. I probably got more arrows in the back lately than than I like, you know, because I opened up a little bit of the future because people like saying, tell us more. Well, okay. And then you get more and it's like, well, that's not, it's not, it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm literally doing this. This is the, this is the arc of life, you know, and predict that humanity whose brain has not changed and remarkably for the last 400,000 years you can somehow imagine that in 22 years that it could change dramatically, maybe, fiction in my book. I, I love reading science fiction, but I don't live in the world of science fiction. I like to live in a world of science fact. And so well, I everything that, I do is science fact, and it's stuff that I can do right now. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that makes you unique. I mean, uh, in an ideal world, everybody would be walking around with the sense to talk from a deeply rooted and anchored perspective of world history and history of different types um, to have that perspective. And yet, since it's practically non-existent, uh, the fact that you do it makes you super unique. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a great, yeah, it's a great attribute of yours. You know, there's a lot that we could talk about, Brian, you know, the, the landscape has shifted quite a bit this year. You know, we've, we've, been able to see um, Samsung's entrance into the market. Uh, we've been able to see Apple's shift, uh, even if it's uh, somewhat slight. It's, there's signs that they're um, at least acknowledging that they need to be investing more in the space. We've seen Amazon and Google uh, competing uh, pretty vigorously. Um, and we've seen stuff overseas. Uh, we've seen a lot of developments overseas as well. But with this show, we're going to focus on just one particular uh, development. And it's happened this week. And it's with the announcement of Google Recorder. So I'm going to leave it to you to explain, just to start this discussion, what is Google Recorder? Well, that's a great question, uh, Bradley, and, and, I, and I really appreciate it. You know, if you, just to take one step back, if you look at the shows that we've done together and how dramatic this market has changed and, and uh, the wake-up calls that literally almost every one of the major tech companies have gotten, uh, including Apple. Now, you know, when we first were on you know, the show, the show one, uh, we were doing this, uh, Apple was completely uh, benign neglect of Siri. I mean, it was open and there were Apple apologists that said, absolutely not this voice stuff. No, it's, it's not going to happen. And then they, you know, makeshift a product called, uh, you know, uh, HomePod. Uh, 
and he put it in the market and guess what? The market said, no, you don't get it. And that was a, that was the first time in a very, very long time that Apple completely missed the call of the market. And it was not like it was a surprise. Folks like yourself were out there, you know, chiming away, showing, hey, this is a real uh, aspect of uh, where the computer industry is going. But unfortunately, the, you know, we used to say yes men, but, you know, let's just say yes anybody's out there who just stand in line and say, yes, yes, this is the way it's going. And, and they reinforce this ridiculousness of, of, of the direction of computing uh, the app store is going to continue to grow forever and people will always download apps. Well, you know, we're past peak app. Most people don't even download apps anymore. It's all over. It's all over. Uh, the, the device will be there forever. And, you know, the device, like we said, show one is going to disappear. Uh, people don't want to talk. Well, you tell that to a few hundred million people, almost a billion people this year knew that were added around the world that are primarily talking to their devices. So it's, change a lot so uh, google recorder what does it represent well first off let's be real crystal clear about what we have been able to do the transcription of somebody's voice has been around since the 1980s actually since the 1970s the very first device popularly available was a kovac system that i helped work with uh for the commodore 64 and I use a much different technology. But yes, we were able to take a, a, a word and transfer it into text and action and work to be done. That Kovacs connected to the BSR X10 system was the very first consumer available home automation system. You would tell it to turn on a light. And it would turn on a light through the old uh, home automation system that uh, uh, X10 represented. So it's not new. And the ability to transcribe things has been around for a while. And a lot of folks misunderstood my excitement over this. The next thing, offline, meaning no need for an internet connection, uh, decoding of speech into text. Has that been around for a while? Indeed, it has. There are devices out there. There are different uh, companies that have done it. And most notably, Apple did it with Siri about uh, two generations ago and, and uh, OS ten. Let's call it about a year and a half ago, and in some cases, maybe even two years, but we can debate that. So now, what's the excitement about? Excitement about Google Recorder is the amalgamation of things that are taking place. Number one, the hardware inside of the Pixel 4 phone is uniquely designed very much like the uh, neural engine inside of Apple's uh, um, you know, de uh, devices, the bionic chips. But Google is utilizing it to make the uh, speech-to-text incredibly accurate. Not only incredibly accurate, uh, able to index and categorize words that you're speaking in real time, meaning... It, although this is not in recorder yet, so I'm going to do a little uh, excitement of w reasons why I might be excited. In real time, the words are actually being analyzed. So it's not only just laying text out, it's understanding the relevancy of that text to a certain level inside of recorder. It's already known with uh, the app that they created um, that it understands that this is 
this is speaker A, and this is speaker B. Now, currently, to get that discernment is extraordinarily hard. And I'm sure you've experienced this with transcribing your work, maybe to go up to Google and let them do it on YouTube, and you extract the speech to text, and you really don't know speaker A to B. The, lately, they've been trying to discern that in the algorithm, and that's kind of what we're seeing, that technology. But for most, for the better part, it's very hard to, to tell speaker A from speaker B. Um, that's available. Um, so we have the, the, uh, the capability inside of Pixel 4 to do this in airplane mode, meaning it's not using internet connection, meaning that this is not cloud-based. That's profoundly important just on that level. Why? So I'll do some subsets here. Why? Because I'm an advocate of hyperlocal and I have to define that. So I'm going to go even further down this rabbit hole. Hyperlocal is not edge computing. That'll be another terminology that people may be familiar with and some people will banty it about. This is beyond what is edge computing. Hyperlocal is a premise that the computer is going to get so fast and memory storage is going to get so large and so inexpensive. One method that I spoke of at the Alexa conference in January is holographic crystal memory. And you don't know about that because the cloud clouded our view of the natural progress of memory, uh, uh, the uh, evolution of memory. Holographic crystal memory is literally what it sounds as new age as you want at the sound. It is literally holographically laser crystal memory. You, you, the lasers um, uh, triangulate a pattern inside a crystal that is permanent. 30,000 years minimum, it will stay there. Does not require uh, any energy, uh, radiation, light. Even breaking it apart to a certain extent will not destroy all of the information. Unlike a hard drive, drop that a couple of hundred feet and you'll see where it goes. Even uh, static, uh, even other forms of memory that uh, we're using, solid state memory, could not survive. This could survive way beyond you. So holographic crystal memory, well, why is that important? Because it can hold petabytes. Petabytes, uh, petabytes could be uh, every single book and video that has ever been made and audio can be held in, you know, maybe two of these uh, memory systems. Everything, every recorded sound, every video that has ever been made, maybe not high res and all that. I mean, we can debate, okay, maybe four of these, but it's not going to be thousands of them. So literally, what happens to the world when it's not a cloud away a thousand miles, but everything that you normally interact with is two nanometers away, chip level away. It's literally built into the chip. Now we're getting sci-fi. To get to that level, you have to understand the concept of hyperlocal. Hyperlocal means that if you can contain all of your context locally, not in the cloud, to be shared and to peruse and to be sold, right? Nothing against experiencing the uh, hangover from that. And that hangover, I am sorry to tell you and anybody listening, it just hasn't even started yet. That hangover will continue for the next decade. And it's going to be a slow grind in the middle of the head and then it'll go all over the place. Uh, the, the, 
what we did by click to agree and what we will continue to do to click to agree uh, is going to come back and haunt everybody. It's the best I want to go into that today. But hyperlocal is beyond privacy and security. It's about your path through your data. And your data is Wikipedia, it's YouTube, whatever video and audio and text you interact with. You create a path through that. That is an indelible path that's owned by you, not by somebody to sell you something owned by you. And why is that important? Because that has context. And once you have the power to connect that context with other contexts with other over decades, you can now form opinions about what you're doing, what you're reading, what you've interacted with, and it becomes an adjunct to your memory. It's an offloading of your current memory. And you will, you will remember every book you read, every movie, every uh, audio track, everything you interacted with, because it all be indexed. And how do we do that? How does hyperlocal do that? Because processing speed, the intelligence is local. Now, I'm not saying the cloud is going to go away. Everything is, it'd be used for different things. But it, you know, right now I have the, uh, people can see it in my Twitter feed. I have the entire download dump of Wikipedia on a $5 Raspberry Pi. Now it does not include images, but it's every single character written on Wikipedia on a $5 device. But I didn't stop there. I have the CIA fact book. The fact book is about uh, the different things uh, that are going on around the world. I have uh, 10 generations of that now. Every single uh, Project Gutenberg book uh, text is on there. Uh, I have a song open uh, lyric database. I have about 45 other data stores in a $5 Raspberry Pi, hyperlocal. So every time I access that information, I don't need to go to the internet. I just can go here. And then my intelligence amplifier says, oh, that's your path through the information. I'll remember that. And so if you were to visualize this, think of every single piece of information that you've interacted with in your entire life and imagine lines connecting each piece of that information into the future, all the way back to a zero point of your beginning. And you start realizing, wow, this is beyond just memory. It's building context that I usually do, but this is amplifying that context, accelerating it. You need to be able to do this locally and you can't ethically do it in the cloud because you're exposing way too much of who you are to the cloud. And it's not, I just don't think it's humanly possible to do that uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, structurally, financially, and ethically, morally. So you view Google Recorder as... As a beginning. Yeah, as as a... important step toward that the the future that you view as inevitable sort of the, the the way that computing pretty much is going to have to go sooner or later sure so so all right you and i are talking right now this is going off into the air and if it wasn't recorded it would just have evaporated now one could argue should we be recording private conversations? No, no. But should we permission-based uh, archive the context of our con- conversations? And I, again, permission-based is a, is a big thing and we just don't have the time to go into it. But let's just assume that we build that infrastructure of what permission looks like. And I have a lot of ideas and some patents based on that. Um, well, we can mutually agree that this conversation 
it's not recorded so that somebody can play it back and, and, and misattribute uh, and, uh, and take advantage of, but to build the context for both of us in a shared way. It's a memory system. It's not a memory system to hurt somebody. Now, can it be used that way? Yeah, but we can build it in ways where it can't be done that way. But again, don't want to go down that road too far. This, assume that I, uh, I've addressed that. Sure. Uh, and, so, and, and at some other show, I would be more than happy to debate and go on for hours on how that can be done. But you and I now have this conversation. Imagine we have a pixel device. Let's imagine this would be a, just you and I in an office. We have a pixel device sitting there and it's archived. What good is it? In and of it, of, in and of it alone, it's not exceedingly valuable, but there's something called the network effect. And there's a network effect to text. Text is readable by a machine. And with the artificial intelligence systems that we have today available to me in my garage, I can extract uh, context from that text and intents from that text. And I can build something from it. So one conversation onto another, onto another, onto thousands. Now we have all of that in a pile. The Google Pixel 4 can do this with the assurance that it's in the airplane mode and it's only you seeing that text. That, Bradley, is magic. That is magic. And when, and when we see it for what it is, as an amplifier, an aid to humanity, and I sound like, oh, he's a, a California glistening-eyed guy in the beach walking, contemplating the belly button. No, what it really means is that we we have 40 bits per second to our consciousness. That's a reality. That will not change no matter how many neural laces Elon Musk will insert into your brain. You cannot change consciousness. It's 40 bits per second. It's scientifically demonstrated. So that means that you're missing. And you remember during the conference, I threw out a big red ball. The red ball demonstrated everything you throw away as exformation. You miss most of what's going on around you. Sure. It doesn't have to be that way. What I am saying is, if you are archiving textually, not as audio, and you're doing it ethically and morally correctly, and you're not doing it for ill intentions, you now have a superpower. And Google is building the very first building block. First, take it off the internet. They did it. Of all companies, Google did that. Google went anti-cloud. Now, we can speculate why and how of all this, you know, but they did it. Apple didn't, and Apple didn't promote it, and it was Apple's province to do it. I won't get into that, but you can obviously see that it's, it's somewhat annoying to me. Um, so Google did that. Fantastic programming, fantastic engineers. What does Google Recorder look like? It is a visual interface that allows you to actually find words inside of an audio stream instantly. So it is a freeform database of words with the audio attached to it. And so you could say, how many, how many times did I say voice first in this conversation? Well, unfortunately, you know, probably a little too much. I don't know. This conversation, probably not. But most of mine, oh, that's 10,000 times. He said it again and again. And, and so... Well, that's interesting. Very trivial kind of uh, arcane stuff. Yeah. But if, if, for example, they use some of the use cases, which they have a brilliant commercial I, I, I tweeted out, which shows a person uh, trying to recall a boring lecture at a university. 
you know, a lot of people say, well, a university lecturer will probably be angry over this. No, if they're a true lecturer, they're probably happy because they realize that what they're delivering could be considered boring. And they realize that 90% of what they're saying is gone. But if it's recorded in a manner that is useful to the person trying to learn, that is to be able to search the text of the conversation or the, the lecture, you now have something exceedingly powerful. Now, so that's, that's technology that Google did. The recorder is a rudimentary system. Even that is exciting. Even that, having that around for, again, where, just like Google Glass, Google's trying a little better at how they introduced this. I'm glad they did it the way they did because the way they did Google Duplex was frighteningly stupid. Uh, the way they did Google Glass was beyond unintelligent uh, is the best word I can use because uh, I don't think stupid covers it. Um, but Google did this the right way. Because it is creepy to some people. It's like, all oh, of my words are now being written down as text. Yeah, but it ain't going to the cloud. It's on your device. That's problem, that's problem one solved. Problem two is what do you do with it? Well, what do you do with it is you unleash the creativity of an app environment. That's what you do with it. And you do it in a way that's fair and equitable. Uh, but anyway, you were, you were going to ask a question there. I'm rattling on. Yeah, this just, um, no, you're, you're, you're given a, a, a lot of really important perspective because I think it's natural for someone to look at, you know, you look at Google recorder. Okay. Just in the words alone, it's, it's not, it's not moving the needle on the emotion meter. It's like, you know, what am I, what am I, what am I supposed to poorly, poorly, poorly marketed phraseology. But I was at Google, you know, Google's biggest issue is the way they hire people. And, and, and I say this in the most honest and direct way. The company needs to grow up and get out of their fraternity hazing hiring environment, looking for the right initials and the right STEM background because those are the only people that matter. Well, you know, it, that is Google's doing. It's their undoing. It's their undoing. And, yeah. and, and when they put these ideas together, you know, and again, I don't want to run down too far down this road, but one of the reasons... First off, they didn't name the Google Assistant. Why is that? Endless meetings and the wrong people in the room and the wrong ideas. And, and they've already painted themselves in a corner because they now have famous personalities who are now going to be called what? The Assistant. Uh, nobody thought this through. And, and, and you could actually fix this right now, but there's arrogance within a lot of large corporations. And nope, nope, my, by golly, we're going in this direction and this is a direction we're going to continue to go in. Good luck. You know, all I can tell you is I've been at the end of this road. It's a dead end, folks. It's a brick wall. You're going about 90 miles an hour. Take your right foot off the accelerator and make a U-turn, but they're not. So that's part of the Google problem is they, they are not anthropomorphizing something that everybody anthropomorphizes whether they like it or not. They well, assign I mean, a human characteristic to it. They assign a gender to it. They assign a region of the world to it. And no matter how much they want to engineer that out of the process, they ain't going to change 400,000 years of human evolution of the brain development. Well, and, gotcha. and as, as you and I had discussed before the show began, um, you know, they, they got what I would call a leadership issue where, you know, not everybody at the company realizes that everybody on the company is playing on the same team. 
and yeah. there's there's infighting yeah, we, and there's cultural uh, issues. I talk to these folks every day. I mean, I have a lot of friends at Google who are frustrated as heck. Uh, you know, my problem yeah. is not with the brilliant engineers and designers. My problem is with management. And, and sure. uh, guess what? It doesn't make me hireable. Well, I'm not going to, I could pass your Google test, but I ain't going to go through no fraternity hazing to please my, my boss. Um, So, so, all right. So we, so the good news is, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So the good news is they did something beautiful and brilliant in in recorder. It it is elegantly designed. It is well thought out. It is highly useful. And it was marketed in the early phases in sort of the right way. So they're hitting a lot of high notes. It, it is unfortunately not, uh, not named correctly because it, it belies the power. And the, I, I don't blame the technologists who built this. You know, hey boss, look what I made. And, and the right people helped shape some of the message, but the wrong people named it. And, uh, and, and, and the, unfortunately what that means is that some of the people who should know what this system does are probably never going to hear about it. And Apple is just as guilty of this. Siri shortcuts is a good example. I mean, they, what? What does that mean? Uh, not marketing it correctly, not showing people just how easy, not having an evangelist, a real evangelist. There are people out there like Matthew and a few other people that are just brilliant who don't work at the company but are pounding the streets for Apple uh, Siri shortcuts and they don't hire these people anymore. It's like, well, the product sells itself. No, it never has. Guess what? You guys have Apple stores. You're selling stuff. Products don't sell themselves. People need to do it. Same problem exists within Google. So Google's going to put out a lot of these great products. And I'm not going to predict the failure of Recorder. But they put out a lot of these great products. But do they really have evangelists? No, they don't. There well, are people who, they, they have people who show you how to code for their product. They don't have anybody on the side of the consumer of the product. That sounds like it's old fashioned. That sounds like they're desperate to a lot of people in tech. You know, the product should be able to demonstrate itself. It should prove what it does. No, I've sat down and showed people who are professionals how to transcribe voice into text uh using siri and and i, I literally did it in the public library uh two years ago i just I, I just threw something out there um the first uh show was five people the the next one was 175 uh, a lot of real estate and insurance people came uh it uh, apparently it, 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 it struck a few nerves and all i did bradley all i did is i it was me and my iphone and I was showing them, most people there had an iPhone. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can do with your iPhone. Mm-hmm. And they went, a lot of these folks went to the Apple store and asked, can I transcribe, you know, uh, a letter or a book or, uh, uh, you know, a transcript or whatever? No, I don't think you can do that. All right. So now, is that the fault of the Apple Store employee? No. Or even uh, uh, an Apple genius that was approached at a couple of these stores? No. But it's a failure of these tech companies to understand the power of the individual utilities of their own devices. If I was at these companies, there'd be an evangelist for every major feature. 
and they would be evangelizing on levels that we have never seen before. Most of the utility of an iPhone and a Pixel phone is going unused because they don't even know it exists. Sure. Don't even well, know it exists. Well, there's no doubt about that. And what you're really describing is sales. And because, of course. And when when people, um, you know, sometimes I end up in situations where I'm I'm asked or or am hearing someone else be asked, um, what's the most important skill to have today coming out of school, like out of college. <laughs> I mean, or, or especially if, if you go to business school, but even if you don't do that, if you just go to high school or, or, or college, it's easy. The most important skill is sales. There is no second place. Of course. There is no second. It's sales. And you can call it whatever you want. But And, and I think that it's interesting. I didn't, didn't expect to, to go down this road with this conversation with you, but I'll, I'll you put a button on it and then sort of close. But it... Um, it's, I think that that is a differentiator. I think Google's getting better at it, to be honest with you. They've got some work to do, but like I was saying, yeah. they've got, they've got yeah. these deep cultural issues that e- they're either going to get resolved or they're not, or maybe they get broken up or they don't or whatever, but it'll resolve itself one way or the other. But, uh, but yeah, I think that one thing that has set Amazon apart is that, um, and, and has given them the lead that they've got is that uh, they have gone out, and you can call it evangelism. It doesn't matter. You're selling. You're out there selling whoever you think yeah. matters. You know, you're, in, in Amazon's case, most of their selling is to developers. Um, but uh, absolutely, thing- you know. But but Bradley, what is Amazon? Amazon's a merchant, and guess what? It took a merchant to start the voice first revolution to the level that it did. Now. That, that seems to go over the head of most of the folks who are more or less in control of technology right now. They just, they just can't grok what that really means. And a lot of it has to do with the way the pendulum swings. I'm well, and, and I'll tell you, Brian. I grew up in nerdism, and I understand. We want STEM people to make it, and we want the nerds to, to have their day. But when the, when the pendulum swings so far over to nerdism, that you just believe that everybody's going to figure out your new whiz bang uh, capability. That's what got Microsoft into trouble, right? Well, it, look, look, look at a Microsoft sure. processing screen, right? <laughs> well, and I never said go have a career in sales. I just exactly. said, the question is what's the most important skill to have. And when you're talking about sales, what you're not really talking about sales at all. You're talking about, uh, the combination of language knowledge, language ability, and, per, and, and ultimately persuasion, and, and, and empathy layered all on top of. Uh, I would add imp- empathy, and I would add empathy and and sympathy and sympathy. Sure, sure. Because if you don't have those, then it doesn't. You empathy can... and sympathy is 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 the humbling part of sales. Sure. So you got to be able to to relate to people and see things, see the world from their view, and um, and that is that is missing with a lot of this stuff. But I, I, to come back to Google Recorder, I you're right. With Voice First FM, we have lived the um, difficulty of transcribing things in a way that just doesn't. It just becomes insurmountable to try to do because, you know, these, these various solutions 
um, that are out there, these automated, you know, transcription uh, solutions, uh, they, they, they only work so well and there's gaps and there's holes and there's deficiencies. And one of the things, I think that this Google recorder has incredible promise to change podcasting and change a lot of things with audio content in the blink of an eye. Uh, if it works like the video that you tweeted out shows that it were, you know, if, act, if it actually lives up to the, the billing. But, uh, but I also love it for another reason. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the last word after I say this. The, one of the stories this year has been that voice technology, voice first technology is hitting this trough of disillusionment. And I, I think we've, we've, we've talked it through and, and there's different things going on in the market. Of course, there's people buying echo devices every day. They don't know what you're talking about with a trough of disillusionment. Where, when you talk, talk trough of disillusionment, you're talking about on the frontier of it. But regardless of how you look at it, people are crying out. The market is crying out for greater functionality out of these voice assistants um, deeper, more contextual functionality out of these these voice ecosystems and their smart speakers or their mobile phones where they're using their voice. And to me, one thing I get excited about when I see this, and especially after I hear you, is this is Google's answer. This is one of Google's answers to that. This is one of those next level, you know, potentially next level functions that can check that box for us. And with that, I'll give you the last word. Brilliant, uh, Bradley, and I think you're really accurate on it. You know, what I want to do is uh, take just a little bit of time to nuance two different things here because I get excited and I miss this. The ability to transcribe, you know, a block of text into a word processing document, that's powerful. I do that every day. I've been doing that every day for almost two decades. I mean, I speak a lot of my thoughts and, it, you know, I love the idea that I can, I'm, I'm going to buy my first Google phone, probably, very likely, uh, Pixel 4, specifically so I can just turn it on and never have to worry about transcribing again. Because right now I do it with a combination of junk I throw together in my garage because I don't want it in a cloud. I don't want cloud transcriptions of stuff that, uh, that I feel is important. And if it's uh, demonstrated that this thing is not broadcasting anything out, I am happy and I'm more than happy to give Google my money to do that. It is of immense higher value. So that's text into blocks, right? But there's something else. It's also the archive of the audio, which I will never, I will never want to hear the audio again as long as I live. Just like most of the video I take, I will never care to see the video. I want to, uh, what do we do with video? How do humans deal with video? We, we distill it down to a word or a phrase. That's when I was at the beach. Okay, you, know, you, can, you can almost put any generic video of that particular part of the beach, whether you took it or somebody, somebody else took it. And you go, yeah, that was it. <laughs> oh, it was cloudier. Okay, there's clouds. Okay, yeah, that's it, you know? And, and so we reduce everything down to words. That's the, uh, the, the mnemonics that humans create in their brain. We don't necessarily remember the pictures. The index is the word. Humans are word indexers. All right, so, and, and, and by the way, I don't think Google fully understands this. I'm not saying that they're getting everything I'm saying. I'm saying that, you know, you have incredible technologists, you have an empowered 
uh, infrastructure within Google's management that allows this stuff to percolate up and to be put out into the market. I applaud them for it. You hear me speak uh, of some of the negative sides of it. This is exceedingly positive and it's good news for Google. The uh, same thing's going on to a certain extent at Apple uh, and Amazon, obviously, but Amazon's hitting their own wall as part of the whole, what I call cold winter. But what's different about Recorder is it's a freeform database. And it, very much like Google, imagine, you know, not just your recorded thoughts, but, you know, different snippets of your day. And as t- time wears on, it'll be a lot more uh, if this is marketed correctly and trained correctly and evangelized. They don't evangelize this, Bradley. There's a really good chance it's going to die in the vine. People are going to yawn and, you know, Pay me a lot of money. I'll show you how to do it. Otherwise, you know, find the right people. There's a few people out there that get this. Uh, hire Bradley. You know, I'm happy. But in, in either case, you, you, yeah, I know. But hey, everybody's got their dollar amount. So you, you, you're at this precipice of something sort of new. This sort of freeform database of ideas. Your own Google search engine of you. This is part of what I call the human API. It's like, how do I get back to me? It's self-referential. So understand the difference of this. One is sort of a document of ideas that maybe you might ultimately save as a document that you present to the world or you're writing a book or a chapter or a blog post or, you know, something like that. Or even just to transcribe what we're saying that, that can stand in and of itself on its own. But what we're doing with with Recorder, the, the, the promise of this and what, why we're at this huge precipice is that you now have this ability to take all of the textual byproduct, which is how humans really organize this stuff, and start finding ways to create value in it. And here's the next level. With developer ecosystems specifically designed around this, not, you know, Google Assistant and all this specifically designed about around the power of hyper-local voice uh, speech-to-text, developers can now start taking the blank canvas and filling in the colors, and they can evangelize for the company. If you don't do it to that very finite point and you just throw it out into the App Store as an API, it's probably less of a chance that this is going to be evangelized correctly. Uh, and, and this beyond that, it, 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 Recorder itself should be promoted. But if they do that correctly and they build an ecosystem, and an ecosystem, as we said in show one, is still the problem today. Ecosystem has to have a way for the developer to be compensated correctly. If they're not compensated, the ecosystem dies. And that compensation model should be built in immediately as that API comes out. And so what, what can we do with that database? Well, what can't we do? We can visualize it. Some people are visual. I get that. We can take that and say, how many times did I say this in the last two years? Or how many interactions? And then all of a sudden, insight starts coming. Humans are on a pyramid to wisdom. The very bottom is data. The very top is wisdom. And the middle of that is uh, insight, knowledge, insight, and, uh, and, and so forth. I talked about that in January uh, at the Alexa conference. When we are able to get higher, uh, higher from data and we are getting closer to insight and wisdom, we now can offload some of the stuff that's occupying our mind 
to do other things with our brain. And that's what these systems can do. And so developers can go into the database and say, with permission, let me connect this with something else. Let me connect this, for example, stuff that I do. Anything I might say today is going to be taken by uh, Alexa or, or Alfred, the intelligence amplifiers, and it's going to be cross-indexed to my hyperlocal database. Now, on one chip, I have 45 databases. I actually have over 14,000 that they hyper-connect to. So what happens is I might say a word that's unusual today, and it will take that word and interconnect to Wikipedia, to other things, to other things I said in the past, and then surface it up as a conversation to me and say, hey, Brian, you know, you said this today and sort of give me an insight. It's almost like a best friend will tell you or a significant other, a wife or a husband is tapping on the shoulder. Hey, you said this today. Did you mean this? Oh, yeah. Well, you said this that time and did you change your mind? Oh, yes, I did. And then, you know, you start this whole sort of interaction. That's the beginning. And this is ground zero. You have to be able to take this thing we call speech, which is sort of uh, effervescent and it sort of goes away. It just drifts off into the air unless it's recorded. And then when it's recorded, it, 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 it's not very extremely useful. But when it's indexable and hypertextable and searchable, it's Google at their best. It's a Google search engine for your thoughts, your interactions, your conversations, your meetings, and your seminars and lectures and whatever else is going on. And can that be in and of itself a very powerful thing? Absolutely. But when it's a puzzle that connects to a bigger piece of intelligence amplification, it is phenomenal. And we first had to prove that you can do this without connecting to the cloud. And guess what? Up until this moment, up until the moment that uh, Google Recorder was released, I would have debates with very informed people in the artificial intelligence and technology community that would tell me that this was impossible. And I go, look, I'm doing it in my garage, dude. No, but that's different. I go, okay, and well, someday, you know, somebody else will do it. Well, Apple's kind of doing it, but no, not really powerful. And then boom, Google drops it out and says, yeah, we did it. And, and, and by the way, we didn't use our cloud. Uh, well, we used our cloud initially to get the algorithms so that it can work. Of course, we were the guinea pigs. Everybody who ever used Google search optimized that. But that's what's going on with hyperlocal. Everything we've ever done on the big internet will got shrunk down to a chip because we've learned from that. And uh, of course, you're going to get new feeds from Wikipedia and updates. But, you know, two nanometers is much better than 2,000 miles or 20,000 miles. And if every single chip has that power, you are now in a completely different realm. Uh, I'm talking your refrigerator has the entire history of every word ever spoken. Well, Brian, that makes no sense. Well, it will. At some point, it will make a lot of sense. And it's not so that it attacks us, but there are some people that might think uh, war games are going to happen from it. But I'm not a dystopian about this unless... Um, we really lose our heads and we allow people to do the wrong thing. So Google Recorder is a, I think it's the most amazing thing Google has released in the last 10 years uh, by far. Uh, I, I can't think of anything that comes close. And I study a lot of stuff that they do from their AI research to their internal structure.
structure of how they uh, work AI to, you know, the assistant and all that. A lot of people think it's bombastic and uh, charlatan speak, but let's see what history says in 10 years, because uh, I think it's a, a, an extremely powerful thing. Now, now, whether Recorder itself is, is, is literally the demarcation point where history goes back and say, boy, that was, you know, the thing that Google made a lot of money on or changed the company. That's all up to management. That's all up to maturity of that company. That's all up to whether or not they want to really be disruptors again, rather than status quo folks. You know, um, if they become disruptors uh, and they really see their place in the world as a technology company and not as a, a maintenance company, then it changes and it could be what history goes back to and says wow recorder sold more pixel phones than anything else at one time siri sold more iphones than any other feature hmm. and and that was you know that's befuddles people today but the research was very clear siri was selling a lot of iphones until apple let it die of neglect you know benign neglect and uh you know it wasn't because the technology wasn't fascinating to people I mean, the testament of the fact that people are putting up at least 39 bucks to get a, a device for their home and some of them keep coming back. You know, you have these experts, quote unquote, out there that say, oh, they buy one. But no, it turns out that most people have two. So, it, it, you know, it, it, I guess they're that stupid, you know, because a lot of people in the tech world think that the common folk that are buying these things are stupid because there's no... You'll hear this word a lot. There's no product market fix or this phrase. There's no product market fit. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. I do actually the uh, know exactly what that terminology means. But what I really, it, it, it's just a, it, it's just a high, highbrow way of saying, I don't understand why people are buying this. I don't see the utility setting timers, playing music. That's not going to sell more. But then again, it's self-evident. It's selling, it's the fastest adopted continuously, still to this day, to this moment, fastest adopted technology in history. And it keeps growing, even with the cold winter, even with the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the cut of this, uh, this uh, pair and, uh, and disillusionment uh, where we're just looking at it and saying, oh, it's not doing enough. Still, even as a broken clock that's right twice a day, people are still pretty happy about it. Just imagine what it becomes. So these are the beginning steps of that. I applaud Google. I absolutely standing ovation to the engineers that got this done because there's a lot of folks who said it was impossible. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a very amazing day for me when that was, uh, and I heard it was going to come out, but you know, like anything, you don't believe it until you actually see it because a lot of products can cancel last minute. The boss says, hey, no, that would change your mind. Uh, you know, uh, they haven't embraced voice first. They embraced one of my old terms, ambient computing. Thank you. But, you know, I think it, you, if you listen to their event, all they kept saying was ambient computing. That's, Bradley, for the folks who aren't watching closely, that's voice first, unfortunately. Uh, they just don't want to embrace it for some reason. Before it was AI first, they, they shot themselves in a the foot with that terminology, they walked around the stage of the developer conference. We're AI first. It's like, okay, what does that mean? Now it's ambient first. Either way, it's good to see these companies growing up. It's good to see them adopting uh, the, the changes that are disrupting their technology. Because at the end of the day, 
one of the things, and I'll leave you with, with this idea, one of the things that frustrate the heck out of people in tech is that if they believe anything that you and I are saying, they know that the, it's a sunset for the, uh, the, the device era. The device becomes less valuable as a device that you stand and look at and crunch over at and thumb claw on glass screens forever at three and a half words per minute. You know, it, it, it becomes something else. And, and for a lot of people, that's scary because they don't know what the something else looks like. It's alien to them. And I get it. I understand. Change is hard. You know, you're 33 years old. Uh, you're, you, you, know, you think you're disrupting the world and you th- think it's going to be through some clawing on glass. And then, you know, the world changed. Well, you know, go to a lot of 60-year-olds and see what they're going through because you're going to be going through that at 34 and 35 and 38. You know, everybody is going to be disrupted at some point. And this technology is moving very quickly. And you embrace the disruption. You embrace the changes. Or, you know, you can keep winding your car with a little wine thing in the front. Or you can get a horse or candle wicks, whatever. I mean, whatever technology you want to freeze into. But the reality is moving forward. That makes sense, Bradley? Makes a lot of sense, Brian. Thank you very, very much for joining us on this special impromptu edition of This Week in Voice. Thank you very much, Bradley. It is so awesome to be back with you. It's, uh, it's been too long. It has been too long. We'll have to, we'll have to keep, that, uh, keep that in mind as season four moves forward. Brian, thank you very much for this time. For This Week in Voice, season four, episode seven. Thank you for listening. And until next time.